0: You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is org. Now for this week's message. Of being a parent and getting to go around and go trick or treating is you end up with uh, bags of candy, and even though you're not allowed to go and do that yourself, when you have a sweet tooth like me, uh, you kind of relapse into your childhood a little bit right and at some point you have to uh, steal or take or borrow or tax your kids candy whatever you want to call it there is this process that as a parent that I have to go through uh, to make sure that uh, I don't just get stuck with the bad candy right so you have to hit it first before the next morning they get to go through and end up uh, sort if you have an OCD kid I don't know how many of your kids did this Anybody, a few OCD kids? All right, Uh, I can remember doing that as a kid of sorting out my candy, putting it in different piles, kind of rating it on the, the candy that's good and bad. And so that is something that I always do with my kids is the candy that I like. You have to make sure you take some of it I didn't even realize she had a big candy, I have not been through my daughter. She has a full size candy bar in here that we'll keep, but there's definitely candy that, uh, the Laffy taffies are always junk, right? You kind of just throw those away. Uh, and usually these Tootsie Rolls, they aren't very good. So, uh, as a parent, you get to sort through your kid's candy and take the ones you like and let them have all the bad candy. Uh, and that is just one of the highlights. If you don't have kids of trunk or treating age, that is something you get to look forward to. Uh, as a grandparent is that something you get to do too or just miss out on that i don't know any grandparents you, all right, you just buy more than you need and keep the good stuff and give away all right so you're one of those bowls that's just the bad candy Mike's taking all the good candy out and leaves out the bad candy for the other kids that's his way of sorting through it that's smart I'll have to remember that uh, when I get to that stage of my life uh, and you know there is that is kind of just the, one of the aspects. of of Trunkers reading or getting candy uh, of Halloween, and you know, today has something that actually, and I'll let you kind of figure it out. How this ties in, it's probably not gonna be too tough to figure it out, uh, how this ties in with our parable today, and we're gonna be in the passage of Matthew 13. We're gonna start in verse 47 and work our way through verse 51. If you are someone who likes to look that up in your uh, Bible or your app or whatever it is, if you'd like to follow along in the scripture, and then go off on tangents like I usually do when I'm not preaching, uh, then that is where our starting point is today. And we've been going through the parables of Jesus, and one of the things that we've wanted to emphasize every week is the fact that these parables weren't just great stories. Jesus wasn't just a great storyteller. He was also someone who used these great stories to teach something. So as we go through this parable, the question we always want to be asking, always want to be digging and looking for is, what is Jesus trying to teach even his audience or, more importantly, uh, to teach us today? And I think that is one of the most amazing things about his stories, his parables, is that they are transcendent through cultures, they're transcendent through time, they are transcendent through a lot of different things that really, truly show how good of a storyteller and how good of a teacher Jesus was, that he was able to find these things, find these truths, and that we can look at them, we can read them, and they're just as relevant to us today as they were when he told them to an audience back then. But there is also some of that cultural significance of just the way things look, just the way things feel from then to now. Uh, For example, uh, in our passage today, as we look at verse 47, it starts this way. Uh, Again, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. I usually don't do that, but I did this week, uh, just because of the word choices that they have. It says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. That was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. And that was typically the way that some of the fishermen in that era, in that time, in that place, that is how the professional fishers did it. You know, if you are a casual recreational fisherman, then you go out with your pole and you try to catch one fish at a time, right? If that is your living, if that is your surviving, then you have to catch a little bit more than a few fish at a time. And so something that they used was this thing called this dragnet. And you could do it in different ways, you could have different strategies, and they probably put a lot of time and effort into figuring the best places to use it and the best time of day to use it, but their hope and their goal was just to create this space that would just capture as much fish, as much wildlife, as much things that they could use, sell, distribute as they could in a short amount of time as they could. And so they would have these massive nets, they'd drag through the water, And hopefully run into a school of fish. And, you know, we have different examples of when the disciples that Jesus was trying to recruit and bring in and become fishers of men. You know, there's those famous stories that when they've been fishing all night and Jesus says, hey, idiots, cast on the other side. And they're like, no, that's not going to do anything. And then the miracle and the magnitude of Jesus' ministry and who he is and his knowledge, it kind of emphasizes to them that Jesus knows, and Jesus is, is the Christ, right? It kind of affirms his, the fact that he's more than just a person, is when they can just cast where Jesus tells them, and they bring in all these different fish to the point of even their nets being almost broken. But this would have been something that the as Jesus is teaching, they could have looked out and looked and maybe even possibly seen people fishing or people's nets drying out or being cleaned by these fishermen as Jesus is even using this parable about the kingdom. It's something that was just part of the ordinary day. It was something that was very culturally appropriate for the Sea of Galilee area where Jesus was at. And so in this Verse really what Jesus is emphasizing and one of the things that he is teaching is about this great gathering and in the process of using a dragnet you're not specifically looking for just you're not expecting there just to be one kind of fish you're just dragging everything and expecting it to be full of all kinds of different fish there wasn't an expectation that just the ones you wanted were going to be in there There was this understanding that every kind and everything would be possibly brought into this. And that, you know, that is why Jesus uses the illustration of the dragnet, too, and not some fisherman who's just trying to catch a certain type of fish, fishing in a certain area. This imagery of the dragnet and the fact that it gathers every kind of fish uh, is really emphasized and and key to this parable. Because at some point, there is going to be a great gathering. There is going to be a time that God brings in all the people. It doesn't matter who they are, where they're from. It doesn't matter the type or the style. It doesn't matter their culture, their history, their language. Uh, There is going to be a great gathering of all the people when the kingdom of God is established. You know, everyone, everywhere is going to be affected and impacted by this time. And God doesn't play favorites. He brings in all people. Colossians 1.17 emphasizes that. It says, in him all things hold together across the globe. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He makes the sun shine on the believer and the unbeliever alike. And so, after Everything and everyone, when the kingdom of God comes, there's going to be this great gathering, this collection like trunk-or-treat or, or like going and trick-or-treating, right? Kids aren't particular about what candy gets in their bag. They are just in after the most candy that they can possibly get. It's not like they reject candy as it's being handed to them. They just goes in the bag, and they have this great gathering of candy that they come home with. The fuller the bag, the heavier the bag, the more fun it is for them. And so then comes this next phase, right? And even for these fishermen, the gathering part was the first step of what they were going to do. Uh, And we see in this verse of verse 48 here of Matthew 13, what that next step is. It says, which when it was full, they drew to the shore, this dragnet, and they sat down and they gathered the good into the vessels and they threw the bad away. And so that is that next step of uh, it, and this gathering happens, the net is drawn, all of these fish comes in and the separation happens. I can remember uh, as a kid being getting exposed to this really is the first time on the docks of Taiwan is the fishermen would come in off the sea and you would see these nets just full of fish and they would just go and they just drop it on the the side of this uh you know in their designated spot and you just see all these fish just drop from the net they just kind of go everywhere they're flopping they're they're flailing and, and you would see different things in there you'd see sharks you'd see turtles you'd see whatever it might be that they happened to catch with their net that day but then immediately after the gathering, there would be this separation. They would start looking for the fish that they would want, and they'd grab all the things they'd want. They'd put them in the baskets because they knew what would sell and what they wouldn't sell, and so they were close enough to the ocean. If they didn't want it anymore, they just scooted it off, and into the ocean, it would return, and they were kind of that, that trash fish, and I think as professional fishermen, this is very much a part of their daily life, is after the gathering comes the separating. It's the great separating that they go through to separate the good fish from the bad fish, just like as us as parents separate the good candy and the bad candy, right? And so there's this separating that happens quickly, and it's always amazing how quickly they know what is good and what is bad. They've been in the business long enough to know what's going to sell and what will just sit on the shore and Nobody will want. And so the quicker they can do that, the quicker they can get it to market, the better off they are. And then the quicker they can get cleaning and get back to home. And so they have turned this into something that is just this work of art, just separating it back and forth. And Jesus understood this. Jesus saw this. The culture of Israel knew this. And he uses this as that picture, as that imagery of. Kind of what's going to happen after the gathering of all the people, right? He says and warns that just like that, there is also going to be a separating of the good and the bad. If we look continuing, con- con- continuing on um, in that verse, uh, it says, So there will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, and they will separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace." of fire. The separation at the end of the age is going to be thorough. There's going to be no one and nothing that escapes the angelic work here of the separating. But rather it being good fish and bad fish, keeper fish and throwaway fish, valuable fish and unvaluable fish, there is the separation of something different. They're looking for a different criteria, uh, one that is the wicked and the righteous the bad and the true. Just like the fisherman separates the the catch based on what is edible and not edible, angels separate on a different. And and it's not based, again, on our looks, how pretty we are or comparatively to other people. It's not whether or not we have a lot of money in our bank account. Is not best based on anything that we list on our resume. It's not based on the relationships or the peoples that we can name drop that we've associated with in our lives. It's not based on our careers. It's not based on where we've been, the locations, the adventures, the things that we oftentimes post and really brag about in our lives. Most of the things that we indicate or show or find value in or, or invest in isn't really going to be part of the criteria that these angels look at or that God looks at. He has a completely different criteria than most of the things we evaluate. And it's based on our heart. It's based on our soul. And it's based on our minds. And really, our relationship with God. And that's one of the things God knows better than anybody else, is who's in relationship with Him the people who are righteous, who have that heart of loving people as God loves them, who has that mindset of trying to live their lives in accordance with his truth. And that is really where that separation comes in. And they know who the wicked and who the righteous will be. And if you need that defined a little bit. and Righteousness are the ones whose hearts have received the gospel with the understanding and have brought forth fruit, who are described as sprouting wheat, and who find Christ in the gospel to be more of value than anything in the world. If we look at the verses in verse 13, as Jesus describes the kingdom of God, the wicked might hear the gospel but don't receive it, they don't have an understanding, they're not fruitful. They're character- characterized as sons of evil who desire is more to follow the ways of the world and not the law of the kingdom. And that is really the defining factors that we see Jesus lay out. That is what Jesus clarifies to us, who is righteous and who is wicked. The only thing and kind of the hard and tough truth and what, as you said in this verse, is something that we oftentimes like to ignore or forget about or, or not reiterate is the fact that they end up in a furnace of fire. And there's this permanency of judgment with that. You know, those who are rebelling, those who are against Christ, those who are wicked, those who have been offered the gospel, who reject it, they don't have a second chance at judgment I think that's one of the hardest truths in the Bible to teach and it's one like, that we like to avoid. It's one that we sometimes like to skirt around. There's, it's one that sometimes we we say, well, maybe you'll be given a second chance. Maybe there is a purgatory. Maybe there is this place of waiting. Uh, there are different things that, that maybe at, at your final breath or after your final breath, there's different theories. There's different ideas of, of us wanting to create more opportunities for people to change their lives, to change their hearts. Maybe there isn't really this furnace of fire. Maybe it's just, something else. We don't like that tough imagery, and oftentimes, and sometimes, uh, you know, if we're pushed, when pish comes to shove, we don't like to use those words of finality like Jesus does. We like to avoid that, at least I'm speaking for myself here, uh, of putting that final stamp on there. I always like to extend grace rather than this truth sometimes, but Jesus very clearly states that this is the case, that when we're separated, there is a furnace of fire that people will be thrown into. And just as people are destined to die once, they will face that final judgment. There's no in-between that is offered, so if you're hoping or banking on a second chance, if we look at what Jesus says, that doesn't seem to be there. but we do find out what is in that furnace of fire. Verse 49, and we'll continue on with the rest of 50 here. The angels will come forth. They'll take out the wicked from the righteous, and they will cast them into that furnace of fire. In that place, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is one of the the saddest parts, the hardest parts of trying to live our lives according to truth. And seeing Jesus' truth here is that there is a separation from God that is inevitable for those who have decided to separate themselves from God. And the separation that they have created has an eternal ramification. The separation event will include everyone. and It's inevitable and it's a permanent promise. This judgment brings about a certain end. And it's not a place that we want anybody to be. It's not a place that we want anybody to wind up in. And even though a lot of the things that we're taught about it through culture or through popular uh rhetoric whatever it might be through conversations through songs through language that we hear oftentimes in our culture is that in our culture we've been taught that hell is optional and it might be someplace you maybe get to extend your life's pleasures right there's a story that i was reading about a young lady who said that she actually looked forward to hell because all her friends would be there and that they would be together and have a big party that is what some people's expectation of hell is. You know, ACDC back in the day saying that song, I'm on the highway to hell, and we sing along with that because it's catchy and it's fun, right? And so we've turned that pathway into something that isn't as bad as it is according to Jesus. There's people in our culture who are proud that they are heading there. And maybe at some point your heart felt that way. And maybe you've talked with people and have circles of people who have that same opinion. And many have the idea that it's just a perpetual party away from God. And that all things caused there will be okay. It won't really be as bad as what people who believe in Jesus or believe in God really describe. There's a different reality waiting for us. But the reality that Jesus paints is very clear. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I think that's the imagery that we should remember. And it's not fun, it's not pretty. And oftentimes it would be nicer if we could just dismiss that or delete that from that because we probably in our hearts know people who might have made that choice not to be in relationship with God. That's a tough, tough truth. I think a lot of people don't like to preach on it. It's not my favorite topic by any stretch of the imagination. It's a lot more fun to preach about grace and love and mercy and, and heaven. But the other reality needs to be talked about too if Jesus takes some time to talk about it. And I think it's easier for us in our conversations to forget to talk about it too. We don't like to remind people that there is an eventual separation that is going to happen. But I think that that's something that we learn in this parable. And Jesus makes it clear that a gathering will happen, a separation is inevitable, and the judgment is real. And Jesus also says in this chapter, or Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we have not prophesied, in, we have, have we, sorry, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I think we need to remember, why is Jesus teaching this? Why is Jesus telling us this hard truth? Why is he doing this? Is it to condemn us, to say, you're going to hell? I think the opposite is true. I think oftentimes we we view Christians as this condemning, judgmental group. But really, if you look at it, if you look at the heart of who Jesus is, that isn't really what he wanted. He didn't want people to be there. He doesn't want people to be gathered and sent away because of their wickedness. Instead, he's doing it as a warning. He wants people to be rescued from that. He doesn't want to condemn people, but he wants them to be saved. That is the ultimate thing that Jesus is teaching. He doesn't want us to end up in that spot. He wants us to end up in relationship with him, to be children of God, to be rescued, to be righteous, and to be able to say that we love and are chosen by God. That as that time comes, we will be included with those who are going to spend eternity in heaven. So that that no one will have to spend that time in that place of of that fiery furnace of, of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is declaring and telling people to come into relationship with God. That the truth is there. And he wants us to understand that ultimately there is a choice. And it's really the great deciding moment in our lives. And maybe it happens once, maybe it happens over and over again, because I think our relationship with God changes through times, And there are times that we need to be reminded that we need to decide once again to live our lives for God to be doing the things and to remove the bad in our life, but to focus on the good, to be more intentional about about removing the things that might cause us to slip and to fall and to fail, to be more in line with what God is teaching us is good, what is righteous. And ultimately, it's us and God who are able to examine ourselves in the most important ways that we possibly can. You know, there is going to be a gathering, there is going to be a separation, but before that happens, there's still time for a deciding to happen, and you get to make that decision of where you are going to invest your life, of where you are going to invest your time, and how you are going to relate and be in relationship with God. We get to make that decision to want to live the good life or the wicked life. And I think that is the greatest encouragement, the greatest news that we can have, is that we can make very sure that we end up in God's kingdom, that we can be, have a relationship and trust Jesus Christ with our faith. There is an opportunity for us to have a transformed life that proves that Jesus is a part of that. For we don't have to be wondering when that separation comes, where we'll end up. We can have faith, we can have confidence, we can have assurance that we are in relationship with God. And there's steps that we find in Scripture that Jesus teaches us. How do you know where you're going to end up? I think it's something that we all struggle with. We're all challenged with. We all debate eternally because we all mess up at times, right? We all fail at times. We all fall short at times. And having a perfect relationship with God is tough. And do I come in and do I fall out? Do I end up being good? Am I wicked? Is it day to day? Is it month to month? How does that even work? And I think it's good to be assured of the fact that if we are in relationship with God, That God loves us and he will protect and he will guide us. So that really is that first step is to be in relationship with God. And just like any relationship, there'll be good days, there'll be bad days. But if we maintain that relationship with God, that is step number one. The second step is to be in the word and understand what God's truths are. If you have any questions about whether you are living righteously or wickedly, open up the Bible. Read it in there and see what, how your life matches up with that. Does the Bible teach and say, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Am I exhibiting those different things in my life? Or do I have a different lifestyle approach? Am I in God's truth or am I away from it? Do I believe in God's truth? Have I repented of the things that are wrong in my life? Am I striving to be in better relationship have I been baptized and made a commitment to God? Am I obeying his truths? I think that's another aspect of that. And then another thing is just to be in prayer, to be in line, alignment with God's will in your life. We have the Holy Spirit that helps counsel us, that helps guide us. And if we are seeking that guidance from God, he is happy to give it to us. God will guide and direct your life if you are asking for it. He will show you, He will reveal to you through different avenues. He is able to reach us no matter where we're at, no matter the depths of our sin, no matter the lostness that we've found ourselves in, God can and will find us if we seek and ask Him to show us His will. And so each of our destiny, it depends on us making for certain what we want to decide. And really, that's how we how I want to end our message today, is offering everyone who's here that opportunity to make that decision today if you haven't already. If you want to make that decision, or maybe you need to still make some different decisions in your life, that's fine too. It doesn't have to be the great decision, it can just be a decision to get back on track, to become more aligned with God, to become more invested in your relationship. And so if that's you today, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is impressing on you that you need to make a decision, whatever that might be, that you would make that. I'll be up front if you want to come and talk about it, if you want to have a conversation, if you want us to pray with you, if you want us to help you make those steps that need to be made in your life. If you need pointed to scripture that will help you do that. During this final song, I would ask, just ask you to come forward and make that decision. Make join God's family and allow us to grow with you. Because ultimately, the truth is there. That there's a gathering, there's a separating, and there's a decision that you need to make. Because ultimately, God wants us to be part of his family and to make that choice. It can be the greatest choice of your life.